The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the ninth chapter. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly, I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. I invite you to be seated. So John comes to Jesus and reports, Teacher, Rabbi, we saw this guy casting out demons in your name, and he's not one of us, and we tried to stop him. How dare somebody, right? How dare somebody pretend to be a part of what we're doing? Somebody unauthorized, somebody who's not a member of our group. How dare they? capitalize on our fame and success. Your fame, Jesus, they're yours using your name to do this. He isn't one of us. We tried to stop him, which of course implies that they couldn't. Here someone is casting out demons, someone who is helping people who are believed to be demon-possessed, people with mental illnesses, people with odd behaviors that cause them not to fit in, people who need healing, people with epilepsy. And they're trying to stop this man from casting out those demons. Why? Well, they're afraid their own power is going to be diminished. This unauthorized person is stealing their thunder. He's capitalizing on Jesus' success, which, of course, is their success, too. And maybe they're jealous. Because not that long ago, Jesus has sent the apostles out on kind of a trial run to try their wings and said, go out, you know, cure the sick, cast out the demons. And they have gone out to do this. And they've met with some measure of success. But they've also run into quite a few demons that they weren't able to cast out. And now they've come back. And immediately after that, they had been discussing among themselves who was going to be the greatest when Jesus' kingdom was established on the earth. You know, what would be the pecking order, the chain of command, who would be on top? And Jesus had taken a child on his lap and said, those who want to be great in the kingdom of God have to be like this child, which is crazy talk. What can a child do? Who wants to be like a child? A child doesn't have any political influence. A child doesn't have a social circle, a sphere of influence built up where they've done favors that they can call back in again. A small child can't travel the country alone doing a man's work. A child isn't shrewd. No, what good is a child? But a child who has no power and knows it, will trust in the power of God. And that is what this fellow out there 
casting out demons, has been doing. Trusting in the power of God. Our egos can get in the way just like the apostles' egos got in their way too. We are afraid that when other people have some power, that our power will be diminished. I have had experience with this just in the last few weeks. You know, I have an ego too. I wish I didn't sometimes. So you all probably know I've been doing this morning prayer thing that I started a been over a year ago now. And um, it's on Zoom and it's also on Facebook Live. And the problem sometimes with things like Zoom and Facebook Live is they give you statistics. Because our egos like that stuff. We devour statistics about ourselves as though they were potato chips and dip. We feed on it. They tell you how many people have seen your video and how many people clicked on the video. And after clicking on the video, how many people watched it for more than five seconds? And things were going pretty well. It seemed like, you know, the viewers were growing and there were some people sharing these posts and that's encouraging, you know, and so we want to look at the numbers a little bit more. And then I took a break this summer, a month off, and I came back and it was like, Bam, you know, back at the beginning, and it was like all the, all my followers were gone. <sighs> and now I'm starting again, and it'll take a while to build it back up, or maybe not. Maybe I was just a flash in the pan, and my 60 people were my pinnacle of success. And it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't. But my ego would like it to matter. But it really doesn't. Egos are competitive. Egos are territorial. Egos are fearful. Yesterday, maybe it was the day before yesterday, I was on Facebook, and I happened to notice, I never know how Facebook's going to decide what I'm supposed to see each day. But somehow their algorithm decides what's going to pop up. And one of my colleagues here in the immediate area was on Facebook Live with something she was calling morning, uh, morning devotion, I think it was. Morning, yeah, a morning devotion. And I thought to myself at first, irked, hey, that's my thing. What does she think she's doing copying me? She's stealing my thunder. She might get some of my future prospective viewers. She's diminishing my stuff. And then I noticed there were a bunch of other Lutheran pastors who were doing this too. They call it slightly different things, but it's kind of something that they're all now doing, and that's what John was saying, right? John said, hey, Jesus, teacher, rabbi, oh my God, I just ran into somebody over on the other side of town casting out demons in your name, and I tried to stop them because, hey, they're not one of us. Make them stop. Moses encountered it too. You know, the Israelites were grumbling. You heard this in the reading if you were listening. 
you know. They were grumbling because they didn't have fruit and melons, but most of all, they were grumbling because they didn't have meat. And they thought they remembered back in Egypt they'd had a lot of good stuff to eat. But lately, they'd just been subsisting on the bread of heaven. Manna come down like dew on the grass that they collect every morning and they have to eat it and they don't get to hold any over for the next day. Well, it's gotten dull. So they're whining and complaining, which is pretty much what they've been doing ever since they left Egypt. And, uh, and they start complaining about Moses because they ask what we do. We're grumpy. And then we start blaming it on our leaders. You're no good leader. You don't have any meat for us. Why did you bring us out here? You know, you're failing us. And Moses gets grumpy after being criticized and goes to God and grumps at God, which makes God mad. But God listens, because God always listens. And Moses finally says, you know, in a nutshell, uh, these people aren't my people, they're your people. This isn't my problem, it's your problem. I didn't give birth to these people. Why do I have to carry them around like I'm some nursing mother all the way to the promised land? No, you take care of them. You figure it out. I can't do this by myself. You know, and he's ready to quit. And so God comes up with a plan because God's always there for us with a plan, even when we're grumpy and mouthing off. And so God says, fine, gather 70 of the elders. And so Moses gathers 70 of the elders, which, you know, at that time were men, in the camp and took them to the tent of meeting, which is the God's tent that's in the middle of the camp where God hangs out in the midst of the people that are traveling in the wilderness on their way someday to the promised land. And Moses puts them in the tent, and you can kind of picture them standing all around the perimeter here, and Moses is there, and God's presence uh, comes down, and spirit comes down in the tent and takes some of the spirit that God has put on Moses so that Moses can do the things God's calling him to do. Takes some of that spirit from Moses and puts it on the 70 elders. And then, unbeknownst to the 70, some of it splashes overboard and lands on two guys on the other side of the camp, Eldad and Medad, who were unsuspecting. And the 70 elders and Eldad and Medad all start prophesying. We don't know exactly what that sounded like, but here they are, moved by the Spirit. And then a couple of people on the other side of the camp, a kid comes running up to the tent of meeting and says, oh my gosh, Eldad and Medad are prophesying, you know, who gave them permission to do that? And Moses' right-hand guy says, well, you have to make them stop. Isn't it funny? They've only had the power of the Holy Spirit for a few seconds, and they're already worried about protecting it, hoarding it, hanging on to it, and making sure they don't lose a drop. If Eldad and Medad have some of the Spirit, well, then that means somehow we lost more than we were supposed to lose, or we didn't gain as much as we were supposed to gain, right? And is Moses diminished 72-fold by all of this? If they have received power, doesn't that mean we now have less power? If more people have power, doesn't that mean that we have less power? If more people have followers on Facebook, then doesn't that mean that I'm going to have less? It's the root of our fear of refugees and immigrants and our fear of affirmative action and of success of our neighbors. 
we're afraid that their power will result in our diminishment. And in the hands of humans, those things can be used to dispossess and diminish because human beings, groups of people, have in history displaced other groups of people. And there is such a thing as reverse discrimination because humans are corrupt and have egos. It's in our DNA. It's part of our creatureliness. Every living thing on the earth competes to survive, including plants. That's a given. But not when the power is in the hands of God. God has established another order, a way of being that is not of this world, a way of being that turns the world order upside down, a way that is not based on competition or fear, a way that assumes first and foremost that God is capable of providing enough and more than enough for everyone that God has room for everyone, that God is on a mission that includes everyone and not just us. Moses understood that. So when the 70 elders complained to Moses that Eldad and Medad were prophesying, Moses said, wow, if only all of God's people were prophesying. If only God's spirit were poured out on all people. And Jesus understood it too. So when John complained to Jesus, well, we saw a guy who was casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he wasn't one of us. Jesus said, whoever isn't against us is for us. Don't you get that? Whoever isn't against us is for us, is with us. God's power expands. It doesn't diminish. There's so much suffering in this world. There are so many people who need healing in this world. There are so many wrongs that need righting in this world. There are so many despairing people who need hope in this world. There is more than enough kingdom work for each and every one of us, more than enough to go around. Moses felt the burden of it. I can't do this all by myself, God. I need help. Jesus felt it and recruited 12 apostles who then were trained to recruit more disciples all the way down the line right to us. Wouldn't it be great if all the people of the world, of all the people of the earth, were filled with the Spirit of God? Wouldn't it be great if all of the people of the earth were filled with God's power for good? Wouldn't It'd be great. Morning prayer might not expand because I'm the next greatest thing on Facebook. I may never go viral or get a single other follower, but it is expanding because other pastors 
are doing morning prayers and devotions on Facebook, and they know people that I don't know. And they touch lives that I can't touch. God's power expands. Their success is my success and our success. If they aren't against us, they're for us, they are with us. My ego doesn't always like it much. But there's no room for my ego or territorialism or competition in the kingdom of God. Wouldn't it be fabulous if all of the people of the earth were praying? And not just the Lutherans in the morning, but the Baptists and the Methodists and the Assemblies of God, the Pentecostals, the Church of God in Christ, the United Church of God in Christ, the Episcopalians, the Catholics, and all the rest. And then if we left the Christians, and it was all the people of Judaism, the Reformed, the, uh, um, the Orthodox, the, you know, the conservatives, if it were the Muslims and all the mosques and all the temples and the Buddhists and the Hindus, and everybody else, the pagans too, what if we were all praying in the morning? Wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing if all the people of the earth were prophesying and proclaiming the blessings of God to one another? What if every church and mosque and temple and club served free community meals? Wouldn't that be great? Goodness, what a fabulous problem that would be. What a fabulous problem. God does not take power from you. God expands the power that has been given to you. God expands the power that is in you. The spirit of the living God has been poured out on you. The same spirit that was in Moses and that was in Jesus and is in the first disciples has splashed over onto all of us because God's power is always expanding, reaching, including, moving out. Because of that, you can do all things in Christ's name, Jesus has told us. You can cast out some demons, maybe not all of them. You can heal the sick, at least a few. You can proclaim God's goodness and love, but you won't reach everyone. You can move beyond your, your own ego with all of its fears and embrace the success of those around you. You can do this with undiminished power and grace. Why? Because you are a part of God's kingdom come. 